All right, so this morning um, we're going to kind of skip around a little bit. Um, what I wanted to do is to look at some particular American heresies and movements. Um, so in America, what's going to happen is uh, good news, Baptists win. And so, uh, as we typically do, um, and we will in the end, uh, take that, Catholics. Um, so, and what I mean by, by we won is that the freedom of religion that we have in our country is, is a typical and particular Baptist idea. Um, as we saw in the colonies were being formed, a lot of the time those colonies were formed with religious liberty um, for other reasons besides this was a, something that was important to the people who were occupying those spaces. Um, but in America in total, one of the reasons why religious freedom is there is because Baptists just simply pushed for it. Um, so the state doesn't get to have um, a say over the religious conscience of a people. This is something that Baptists hold very dearly to, and one of the reasons why um, we, we ought to oppose any, whether local, state, or federal uh, restrictions on, on people who are not Christians doing things that are not Christian. We, we don't want the government to step in and, and block those types of things because we just think that that leads to bad roads in the end. Um, so there's good in all that, a lot of good in all that. There is a particular, though, um, thing that kind of correlates to that, and that is that America became in ways that Germany and England weren't ever really going to be um, sort of breeding grounds for heresy, okay? So if you're in Germany and you're a Lutheran country, um, you can control some of the bad theology that's going on. And, and this is true even for Catholicism in Europe, up until the Reformation, right? Um, there was a lot of bad that was going on there, but um, and they weren't always policing theology. They still don't always as well as they, they ought to, um, who among us does. But uh, what happens in those states is that you have a mechanism by where you can control heresy a little bit. You can, you can stamp it out. But in America, because there's freedom of religion, once that thing is sparked, as long as there's enough fuel to keep it going, enough people to promulgate it, um, there's no like higher-up mechanism that can kind of crush it other than the work of the Spirit. Um, so what you get in America is um, even heresies that come from abroad that are just sort of little lights in Europe end up being flames in America. And so we've got a lot of particular cults that, that pop up, particularly in America, because of that. Um, so we're going to talk about five of them today. Certainly these are not the, the only five that we could speak of, but we're going to talk about five of them today. Um, the earliest, and um, uh, it was really localized to New England. Um, it, they've, they've spread some from there, but it was mostly New England, uh, was Unitarian and Universalists. Um, Unitarians, this kind of goes back to um, the effects of deism and philosophical dominance of reason on the churches, that they thought that, that God could only be what we could reason him to be or what we could get to. As far as natural theology goes, they tended to reject um, special revelation so that they could focus only on um, what they could understand from nature and things like that. And so um, they obviously weren't quite as bright as they, they wanted to think they were. Modernism is this um, uh, very 
self-refuting kind of idea that our reason is enough to prove what is true. Um, this is kind of where postmodernism leads. Postmodernism takes that individuality. So the idea was that um, modernism basically says if you have the right structure, right, any individual working logically through the structure that is built into the world can arrive at truth. Well, postmodernism, right, so you don't need any help outside of who you are. Postmodernism is the end result of that and also the refutation of that because postmodernism says, well, there's actually not a ton of, there is, there is objective truth out there, but because it always comes to an individual and is always through an individual, then things start to become relative. Like, you, you can't do any of that. So Unitarian Universalists were like the start of that. They rejected this sort of objective reality of the cross of Jesus Christ and instead started to supplant it with what they supposed to be true. And a lot of that was just the fact that um, the Trinity wasn't true. They obviously dismissed um, the Trinity. Um, they, res and this was right around the time of the American Revolution was when this kind of hit the um, uh, sort of a spike in, um, in importance here in America. Um, they thought that the church had been corrupted um, throughout the ages. By the way, that particular line you're going to find in, in the American heresies is really popular, um, especially those heresies that are really close to Christianity. Um, they're going to almost all say, well, the church was corrupted. The church was corrupted. The church was corrupted. Um, and that, that is sort of distinctly different than the way the reformers taught, right? The reformers didn't teach that the church as a whole was corrupted. We, we just need to straighten out some things, right? We need to go back to Augustine. We need to go back to these things. Um, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't like, hey, the church has been corrupted since right after the New Testament. And, um, and Unitarians would go all the way back to before the New Testament and say the church was corrupted almost immediately after Jesus died. Um, so they also say Jesus wasn't divine, um, there's a couple of different ways in which they can um, mess around with the Trinity here. Um, some were Arianistic, meaning that they just didn't believe that the Son was, um, he was fully God. He was a creation, um, even if he was the first creation. He wasn't God. That's kind of what Arians believe. Um, others are Socinian, um, who simply denied that there was any preexistence to Jesus. There was no son that was before. So Arians believe that there was God, and then the son, and then everything else. Socinians believe that there's God, and then creation, and then sometime the son comes into existence as Jesus, or something like that. Um, they believe that original sin is an error, um, that people are neutral. You, your choices make you good or bad, um, which is just a crazy thing. As I think Chesterton once said, like, original sin is the one, like, empirically verifiable doctrine that we hold to. Um, I don't know if he actually said that, but he's a good person to put that on. So um, <laughs> somebody said that, and they were right. Um, they, they thought that substitution theories uh, of the atonement were garbage, um, and they thought that because in their mind it said something bad about God, right, which is just really circular reasoning. Um, that we think, we think God is like this, and therefore how God is going to act can't be that way because that's not what we think of God, right? Um, so again, they're, they're justifying, and they, they don't understand that they're basically, by the use of their own reason, making their own God, but nevertheless.
He also thought that um, they, they obviously weren't strict. Unitarians um, didn't believe that, that Christianity and Christians were the only people that had the Holy Spirit, and that certainly the Holy Spirit could lead people in other religions as well. Um, this does start in Poland, and so this isn't strictly an American thing, but it really, really flourishes in New England um, outside of the bounds of the Church of England. Um, it, it really does kind of inflame people in New England. Um, and so it's sort of connected to the burgeoning American idea of freedom of religion. Universalists are closer to us. Um, universalists are just people. Does anybody know what a universalist? I'll ask that question before I say they believe that a universe exists. What's that? Yeah, that's that's a tough label. Well, I can. That that is an incredibly broad view of election. So, a universalist is not somebody who thinks that there is a universe, um, uh, which is a helpful thing to believe. Um, we'll get to people who don't actually believe in the material world here in a couple of minutes, but. Um, Universalists are people who believe that in the end, everyone will be saved, okay? So there either is, I know, it seems like a night, they're, they're really kind. Um, so uh, the idea is that either hell does, doesn't exist at all or that hell will eventually uh, work as some sort of training ground for people to get them to see the truth of what happens. So there's all kinds of ways that this can be worked out but the end idea is that there is no eternity of conscious eternal torment. And there's not even, and, and I, if you're a universalist, there's not even that, there's not, it's not annihilationism either. Annihilation is that you will go to hell, but then you'll be completely and utterly consumed in hell and your existence will be no longer. That's not what they believe. They believe that everyone's eventually going to end up in heaven praising Jesus. Um, now, that quite clearly stands against a number of texts in the New Testament. It's really hard to sustain that. Um, there are still people today who try to argue this way. There's a famous book put out um, a couple years ago by a man named David Hart, I believe that was his name, um, who argues vociferously for this, but not very well, and certainly not scripturally. Um, I mean, the, the basic idea, Rob Bell, uh, what's his book, Love Wins, or whatever, um, even the name, the title there kind of implies what what he's getting at is that the love of God eventually wins out over our sin and, and over these things. But again, you, you argue that based on the fact that God is love is how they argue, but they don't argue based off of much scriptural evidence because scripture is just fairly clear that that's not actually how the whole thing works. Um, so those are Unitarians and Universalists. Um, the second group, anyone want, well, we'll let you guess. What other groups are, could we put in here for American-bred heresies and and movements. Mormons, that's actually number two. Thank you. Um, somebody looked at my notes before we began. Um, started by Joseph Smith um, in the 1820s, and, and what, what happened to Joseph Smith that he was like, hey, we need to start again? Does anybody remember? What's that? He was visited by an angel, and but more importantly than an angel, okay, so yeah, you're, you're right about all that, but who? Somebody... Not just Jesus, though. The man showed up. Who's the man? The Father and Jesus showed up, physically present before him, like both flexing, right? <clears throat> so problem number one, right, immediately off the bat, at no point in time 
does Christianity ever allow for the Father to be pictured? The Father cannot be pictured. So, you know, if you go to the Sistine Chapel, right, that famous, um, I can't remember what it's called, but the touching of the fingertips between Adam and God, who is pictured there as the Father, like, that is just rank heresy. Like, um, to picture the Father completely denies the whole function of the Trinity as the Son is the image of the Father. There is no image of the Father unless you're talking about the Son being the image of the Father. So to have both of them standing there, like as though he read Father and Son and he thought they were both there is one thing. Along with that, he gets tablets of gold, um, which was inscribed with, does anybody know the language? Egyptian, right? Because who would have guessed that? Um, So Egyptian writing on these that the angel through... Urim and Thummim uh, translated for him. So these are like instruments that he used to translate them into the Book of Mormon, okay? Then, because um, Heaven's Library has a really strict return policy, he had to give those gold tablets back to the angel. That's why they're not here today. So that's a bummer. Um, I think that they're on hold too, and so there's just no chance that we're going to get them. Um, now, it, it is ridiculous, and I don't mind um, making fun of them, uh, because they, they want to cling on to a Christian label so much. And we, we know them. There are a lot of Mormons in this country. Um, they're very kind people, typically, very family-oriented. Uh, they try to be really moral. And so they, they, kind of, they kind of nudge up to Christianity in a lot of respects. Um, but we, we need to understand they are, they are not Christians, Okay? They are unorthodox. They, they not only, and I don't mean unorthodox in that they're kind of weird. Um, they might be kind of weird, right? So they've got interesting regulations on what they can and can't do, which don't really matter to us. Um, so they, they are kind of weird in, in certain senses, but what I mean by that is they are literally heretics. Like they, they fall clearly under the label of heretics, not only in the picturing of the Father and the Son. They believe that... that God the Father is not the only God. Um, they believe that Jesus wasn't God and became God. They also believe that you and I, over time, can become God, right? So this isn't like, this isn't Arianism that's kind of close. To, like, this is, this is not even close. Like, their, their understanding of, of the, the end purpose and goal of creation of redemption in Jesus Christ, of who Jesus Christ is, of who God is, like the whole lot of it is just off. And for Christians to say, oh, well, you know, I think that because they share a lot of, of things in common with us, they, they treat the Bible as scripture, uh, yada, yada, um, that they can somehow be considered Christians because they speak well of Jesus Christ is just ridiculous. So there, there's a whole host of issues that come along with um, Joseph Smith. It's not just the really odd way that everything came, which by the way, again, his contention was the church from the very beginning went sideways. And that only 2,000 years later, 1,900 years later, 1,800 some years later, um, did the Spirit of God come to him to write that ship, right? Now, that, that's, a, that's a strange belief there from the very get-go, right? That God was going to like give us this perfectly good news, and then we messed it up, and he's like, I'll take a couple days off. 
see if they get back. Like, it's a very strange thing. Not just the golden tablets, not just the picturing of God and the angel, the Egyptians or the, the Israelites in their deportation and their exile, one of those lost tribes meandered, got on ships, came, all the American Indians, the lost tribes of Israel, right? So that's what he held on to. Um, and this is part of what is, is given to us in the, the Book of Mormon. Um, and so they make, I remember watching commercials when I was a kid. You know what verse they used uh, to talk about, on these commercials anyways, maybe they don't do this in, in person anymore. There's a verse in the Gospel of John that they used to talk about how Jesus came to, to reveal himself to those lost tribes of Israel in America before people in the West and in the Middle East even knew that that place existed. You remember? I have other sheep, right? You're not the only sheep. I have other sheep. And I remember, I remember watching commercials for like the Book of Mormon and them highlighting that, and I was like, oh, I wasn't a believer. And uh, I was like, oh, that's weird, other sheep. Um, but it didn't say anything about America, so I was kind of confused. Um, but they believe that that's where they came from. Um, they steadily uh, moved to the West. He was, he was in New York when he saw the vision, um, and they, just, they had problems everywhere they stopped. Um, he eventually was killed by a mob, Joseph Smith was, um, and they had several times um, to be kicked out of uh, cities. They eventually bought a town in Illinois, um, which was named Commerce. They, they renamed it Nauvoo, which is strange. It sounds like it's from a, uh, Star Wars, but it's not. This is actually in, isn't there a town in Star Wars called Nauvoo? One of you geeks needs to know that, right? Okay, thank you. I, I should have looked at you first, Marilyn, but I, so I apologize. Um, and, and so he was, he was killed by a mob there, and that, that's where Joseph, not Joseph Smith, that's where Brigham Young comes into play. He is the one that there's a succession problem, but Brigham Young is kind of voted to be the guy, and so he eventually takes them out west. Polygamy was a thing, um, and for some parts of uh, uh, Mormonism, it's still a thing. Um, they dropped it conveniently when Utah was going to be made a state. Um, then it was revealed that that practice shouldn't be done anymore. They hold to um, a number of things in Scripture. Besides the Bible, they believe in the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, which is a separate book, and the Pearl of Great Price. Um, again, they're, they're perfectly kind people. They don't know Jesus, right? They know a version of Jesus, which is their version of Jesus. It is not the Bible's version of Jesus, and certainly it is not a right understanding of the Godhead. Um, mixed with that is, is sort of a works righteousness and how they, they pursue salvation before God. Um, so they are not, they're not Christians. Um, any others? What, what else do we have? What's that? No, the Russellites are not included. Thank you. <laughs> You're not allowed to speak anymore. <laughs> What's that? That's Mormons. Latter-day Saints are Mormons. Yep. Jehovah's Witness, number three on our countdown. What's that? I know, I know, I know, but I wanted Jehovah's Witnesses. So, Charles Taze Russell in 1870 um, was the, the one who founded this. Um, they deny a number of different things that are important. Um, they deny the immortality of the soul, um, that souls are not made immortal and they won't last forever. Um, they deny hell. They deny predestination in all of its forms. Um, they deny the physical return of Christ and 
Again, they deny the Trinity. Like, all these people just flat out deny the Trinity, like right off the gate. Um, he believed that Christ, this was, he didn't live in 18, or he did live in 1870. He didn't, um, he wasn't born in 1870. He started Jehovah's Witnesses in 1870. He thought that um, Christ had returned in 1874, but again, he denies the physical return of Jesus, so it was a spiritual return, which is really handy because you can't verify that in any way, shape, or form. And so, um, and what the coming back in 1874 did was inaugurate the harvest of the gospel age. Um, 1914 was going to be the end of this. So in 1914, um, the harvesting of the 144,000 souls, which are, it's a literal number, so if you go to the book of Revelation, 144,000 are literal and particular. There's only that many people who will live with God in heaven. And if you're not a member of the 144,000, which uh, began counting in 1874 and went through 1914. So if you lived before then, no chance. So again, realize what, what he is saying. Like the Apostle Paul, no. Peter, no. Like th- those guys, not. not. So that's the, that's the age. Um, and in 1914, society is eventually going to be replaced by an establishment of God's kingdom. Um, does anybody know the magazine that they use? Watch that. Are you on? No? Somebody, we got readers. We got fans. Um, <laughs> The Watchtower magazine uh, demonstrated that, that the whole point of the real strong emphasis of the Watchtower magazine was to talk about how we are in the end of days. So if you, if you pay attention to uh, a lot of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses say, they pound on that issue. We're in the last days. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming, which is, which is fine in and of itself. I think that we would, we would say that as well, but they emphasize it to, the, to a point that probably does not need to be emphasized, um, and that the kingdom is going to be imminent. Um, Russell died in 1916, and then eventually a man named Rutherford took over. Um, what he ended up doing was sort of reestablishing Jehovah's Witnesses as a door-to-door type of thing, and he said, hey, we're, we, we need to spread the message, but um, we're not just going to project our message out there. We're going to go door-to-door, and you, you now know that both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are known for that particular practice. They, they are very much a knock-knock-knock, door-to-door kind of thing. Um, again, um, the 144,000 are going to live in heaven with God, those who come after the 144,000 can still live in a blessed life here on earth, um, in a fully restored, fully Edenic version of earth. If you believe rightly and you you do the things that accompany that, you can live here on earth. Um, If you don't believe in it, you just kind of go away. So they're they're annihilationists after that. There's no hell. You just, you stop existing. Um, No, I don't believe so. I mean, it's not, they, they, don't, they don't know who the 144,000 are, but I'm pretty sure that they, they think that the 144,000, like other people have, have notched those spaces, right? The colleges and universities only accept so many people a year, and the rest of them are on a wait list. And that's kind of what, what's going on here. So they, they, do, they do believe that, like, you, you get to live in a restored perfection of earth. You're just not, you're not allowed into the private club sort of thing. And I, I don't mean for that necessarily to be pejorative. That's just kind of what they think, that there, there's 144,000 that get to live with God in heaven, and then the rest live on the earth. And then everybody else is just gone. Poof and smoke. Um, 
So one of the things that they, they want to do is reject um, Christian doctrine and the divinity of Christ. Um, and they, they are called Jehovah's Witnesses because they believe that Jehovah is the only God and um, that the name Yahweh, which is also translated Jehovah, um, is the God of the Old Testament, is the Father of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is just a creation of the Father. So in that, they're very Aryan. Um, one of the most famous texts that they use for this is um, they've got this weird idiosyncratic way of translating the Greek from John 1.1. So John 1.1 says, in the beginning, um, the word was with God and the word was God, um, which is a very beautiful way for John to succinctly say that the word is both God and yet is Stand, has a relationship with God, right? He's with God and he's God. So there's a way of John like kind of mirroring the Trinity there just really succinctly. It's quite beautiful. Um, there's a problem with the Greek and that is that um, it's not actually a problem with Greek. It's a problem with Russell and others who, uh, or the Watchtower Society who translates this. But they translate it as um, the word was with God and the word was a God, um, they argue this based on the fact that there's no article in front of the word God, but uh, the article does not function in Greek like it functions in English. It's, it's a completely different and mysterious little devil. And so um, because of that, their translation is all wrong. Anyways, if you read through the next bit of John, what does it say the word does? All things were created through him. And John is like really emphatic. He says, um, I'm going to mess it up because it's so weird what he says next. He's like, all things that were made were made through him, and nothing that was made was not made by him or something like that. Like, it's really emphatic. You've got everything that's made here made by him, and that if it was made, it was made by him, and there was nothing outside of that circle that wasn't made by him, right? So if he was made, if the word was made and created by God the Father, like, the rest of John doesn't make any sense, like that little bit of John. There's a number of different ways to argue with them. Um, but in the end, again, what we have is this idea that the church has gone wrong, um, it's going to be restored, and one of the things that they focus on being wrong is the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, they just really hammer that home, um, and it's a, it's a problem. Um, and they will sit down, and they can be very kind and nice to you, um, but there's a number of ways. The, the best way, if, if you've ever heard me use the picture, one of the best things to do for them is to take them to Isaiah 45 and to have them read Isaiah 45 time and time again. And if you go to Isaiah 45, it's using the capitalization of Lord, which is the name Yahweh, and it, it basically says, there is no God like Yahweh. I am, I am Yahweh, and he's the only one. So the, the, Isaiah 45 is making the point, I think it says, it uses that phrase eight times that, that there is only one God, I am the only one. You know, Yahweh, the Lord. Um, and then at the end, what it says is, um, every knee will bow to me and every tongue confess that I am the Lord, right? But then in the New Testament, who does Paul apply that to? Paul applies that to Jesus, and he's quoting Isaiah 45 there. So there is, there is like very little way that you can deny that Jesus is Yahweh, at least in Paul's mind, Jesus is Yahweh. And so um, that's, uh, that's kind of a helpful place. Revelation's also good, but those are some of the things. Um, any, uh, any questions about Jehovah's Witnesses before we go on? Yes, sir. It's not. 
It's really limited. And it was in America. What's that? Well, because they, they still think that people... So, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, they still think that people can have a blissful existence on the earth. Right? So they, they still think that that's possible and that you get that blissful existence forever. So it's not heaven. I mean, I don't know that they're going to put this on a t-shirt, but it's not heaven, but it's not bad either, right? So it's, it's a pretty good existence. No, if you reject them, you just, you just kind of go away forever. Yeah, yeah, so it's not. It's, yes, it's exactly what every non-believer wants. Yeah. They want utopia on earth that's perfect and, and God does not. It's John Lennon's, you know, imagine, so. Um, uh, yeah. They, 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 um, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure, like the archangels, Gabriel and Michael, they, they say like, oh, those are just different names for the pre-incarnate Jesus. I think maybe not Gabriel, but Michael, they, they do that for. They say that he, that's, that's also Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I don't, they, I don't think that they have it. I don't think that they have an issue with that, though. I mean, maybe that that particular person was a little put off uh, by your kindness, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know why they would have a particular issue with the cross. So uh, they they do have a particular issue with the cross, and that their their idea of atonement is not quite correct because because it is a created being who is dying for you. And even, even, the, even the idea of, of that created being being morphed into a man, like, the, the, it, it's unclear what he is. He's some sort of, like, third beast. He's not, he's, I mean, they might say he was fully man, but there's some, I don't know exactly how, how the, the spiritual being that is Jesus, if it's like, um, I've used this term before, which is kind of gross, but like a flesh puppet, right? So there is no, thanks, there is no, there is no like humanity in soul. There's only a human body there. I don't know if, I don't know exactly how they, how they. Yeah, obviously. Otherwise you just, you die and poof out of existence. Yeah, primarily. Yeah. They, they they do promote like good works and stuff like that, but you you've got to you. Right. For, further on and and can, yeah, so it is a matter of like the the works the works. It, we we need to be careful, and we don't want to say wrong things about it, right? So they, they believe that their good works will be rewarded in heaven. And we don't not believe that. We, we just have a little bit more of a nuanced way of speaking of that. That's not how we get to heaven. And, and they, they might be very, again, what we, this, so the centrality of the gospel is not the giftedness of the gospel. We need to understand that. So when we start thinking that 
that what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions is the fact that God's, and, and Christians sometimes talk like this, the fact that God gives you salvation as a gift. That's not actually the unique part, because cults will talk like that, right? They're, they're quite clear that this is a gracious thing that God has done for you. The problem is that the God that they're drawing you to and the way in which God gets glory and honor from that is not the exact same thing. Their, their gospel is defunct because their trinity is wrong. And so it's, I think a lot of Christians don't see a problem because it's still just this gift. And they, they use the word Jesus. They talk about it being a gift. They talk about it being from the cross. And they're like, oh, that, that's, that clicks all the check boxes for me. And the problem is that that's not the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel is the revealing of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ and then calling us into a relationship with that God through the work of the cross, like to getting rid of the, the separation and the enmity that we had outside of, of a right understanding of how that happens um, and a trusting in the right way in which that happens. You're left with a a goal that isn't Christian. You're left with a means that isn't Christian. You're left with an understanding of humanity that isn't Christian. So everything kind of fails, even though they're using the same words and describing it kind of in the same way. So, um, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, again, they can be very nice people, um, but, uh, but nice, nice people um, are not saved, right? We, no, that'd be Buddhism. Yeah. Well, I mean, Buddhists don't actually, Buddhism is weird. It's not really religion. It's more like just a way of life. So yeah, it's, it's a very strange, there's no God in Buddhism. It's just kind of a eight-step plan to becoming the best you. There, but there's nirvana in like, in Hindu beliefs and, and other beliefs. Like there's a, yeah. Brahman, but Brahman's a state of being. It's not a place that, that you enter into. And Nirvana is kind of the same way. Yeah. Um, so we got to move on, and this one's this next one's fun. So uh, next, what, what do you guys have as a guess? Yes, number four. You guys are on fire. I know, I know, and uh, this one's really strange. So. Yeah, and these people are all, like, a lot of these are centered in New England. So that's also a, right, maybe there was, like, some lead in the the water or something. So Mary Baker Eddy um, is the founder of Christian Science. Um, She was a very sick woman for the majority of her life, had an unhappy marriage. Um, And in 1875, uh, she wrote a book called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. Um, and she eventually named her church. The name of the church is not Christian Science. It's, it's the Church of Christ, comma, Scientist. Okay, so that is actually the name of the church. Um, the main church was built in 1894 in Boston. And if you've never seen, um, we didn't, this wasn't one of the things that we visited when we went to Boston, but you can find pictures of it. It's quite the facility that they've got there. It's, it's quite huge. Um, it is now anyways. Uh, and it's also known for the, a paper um, called the Christian Science Monitor, which has won seven Pulitzers in between 1950 and 2002, which is crazy. Um, okay, so she, like other people, thought the church had lost its way. In particular, 
um, she wanted to return it to its earliest days, and its earliest days were really focused on the healing that Jesus Christ was to bring. And one of the reasons why she wanted to focus on this was because she was a very, um, a very sick woman. And at one point in her life, um, in 1866, she slipped on some mice. And um, people say, and she said, that she had multiple broken bones. And she was laying there. We're going to talk about broken bones here in a second again. Um, and she was laying there, and then she said, well, I'm going to pray. Bring me a Bible. And she she opened the Bible, she read about a healing of Jesus, she prayed, and then the next day she got up out of bed. And, um, and she said that this was the beginning of her understanding the healing power of prayer. Um, and this kind of led her into a, in the beginning of Christian science. Um, you, the, the tacking on of science there becomes really important because it's about healing and things like that. Um, but she didn't know it yet. Basically, she is an idealist, and that is that the material world around you, and this is down the Buddhist sort of path, the material world around you does not exist, okay? So that your suffering and pain and difficulty in life are due to misaligned beliefs. And so if you believe correctly, your pain and your suffering will be removed from you. So if you have wrong beliefs, that leads to, to um, physical things that happen to you, although there is no physicality. Right? You just project that onto physicality. The, the material world is just, it's not real. Um, so there is a, there's a reason here for why a, a belief like that would take off. Medicine in the late 1800s was an absolute crapshoot. <laughs> like there was, there was no way of telling how anything was going to work. They were, they were just throwing things at people. And like you, you've heard the thing about snake oil salesmen, right? They, they would just go from, from town to town selling basically pond water and saying it could do a whole bunch of things. And, uh, you know, having kids throw off crutches and be like, hey, look at me, I can walk. Um, and so what she, she did was look at these sort of Western medicines and see that medicine was all over the place. Like surgeries oftentimes killed people. Um, the, the kind of prescriptions that people were being given and the, the way in which they were told that they could heal themselves was oftentimes not working. And what she offered was like an explanation for all of that. That is that, that physical healing in the real world is not due to physical things in the world, but we should really focus on the spiritual things and get that to work out. And when you already have like a Christian-y type nation, that plays really well, right? Like, oh, I, I, I have not focused enough on my spiritual state. Maybe that is why I'm suffering from, from arthritis or whatever the case might be. Um, she tried to keep this within the realm of Christianity. Obviously, she failed miserably. Um, but she thought that the Bible was an inspired book and authoritative. One wonders how you end up there. Um, she did eventually jettison the second half of, uh, or second part of Genesis 2, um, which you'd think she'd have to, like after the making of the world, she was like, oh, that's all figurative language. And then in Genesis 2, when he starts talking about like the nitty gritties of actually being created from the dust, she's like, nah, that's not true. You can ignore that. Um, Jesus was basically, um, somebody who um, was the um, way shower, if I, if I have that correct, um, which when I first read it, it looks like way shower, but that's not 
that's not what it was supposed to be. Um, basically saying that he, he showed us by dying on the cross. I think that this is the idea, and I don't want to misrepresent him, but I think this is the idea, that Jesus dying on the cross shows us that that physical pain isn't real and that having right spiritual beliefs is the way to be healed because his right spiritual beliefs led to him being raised from the dead. And so he's not divine. He's not substituting for us. What he is doing is just showing us the reality of prayer and spirituality as the key to health, but not physical health because that doesn't actually exist, but however you want to talk about it, whatever it is. It's very, um, very odd. Um, the, the best thing to happen to Christian science was the fact that um, Mark Twain still lived, and he got to write a blistering um, satirical account of Christian science uh, in a book called The Christian Science or something like that. Um, I know it's weird. So this is in the, in the 1900s, one of the latter things that he wrote. And uh, he, I'm going to read you part of it because I think it's funny. And um, uh, so he, he basically starts this fictional account off by saying that he's in Vienna and he went um, walking alongside a cliff and he fell off a cliff. He fell 75 feet and he was bouncing off of boulders and stuff. And he needs, he needs surgery pretty badly. And so they take him to this little village in Vienna. And uh, this is... This is what he writes. This is the, um, almost all of the first chapter of this book. There was a village a mile away, and a horse doctor lived there, but there was no surgeon. It seemed a bad outlook. Mine was a distinctly a surgery case. Then it was remembered that a lady from Boston was summering in that village, and she was a Christian science doctor and could cure anything. So she was sent for. It was night by this time, and she could not conveniently come, but sent word that it was no matter, there was no hurry. She would give me, quote, absent treatment now, and come in the morning. Meantime, she begged me to make myself tranquil and comfortable and remember that there was nothing the matter with me. I thought that there must be a mistake. And so this part is a dialogue between him and the guy who was sent out to talk to her and came back. He says, did you tell her I walked off a cliff 75 feet high? Yes. And struck a boulder at the bottom and bounced? Yes. And struck another boulder and bounced again? Yes. And struck another one and bounced yet again? Yes. And broke the boulders? Yes. And he, that accounts for it. She's thinking of the boulders. Why didn't you tell her I got hurt too? <laughs> I did. I told her what you told me to tell her, that you were now but an incoherent series of compound fractures extending from your scalp lock to your heels, and that the community projections caused you to look like a hat rack. <laughs> it was after this that she wished me to remember that there was nothing the matter with me. Those were her words. <clears throat> I do not understand it. I believe she has not diagnosed the case with sufficient care. Did she look like a person who was theorizing, or did she look like one who has fallen off of precipices herself and brings to the aid of abstract science the confirmations of personal experience? Bitte? Which is just, it's just pardon. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. So the whole point is, like, like there, the denial of real physical pain is an incredibly dangerous thing. And Christian science is, is really wicked. Um, this is part of the problem with Buddhism as well. Buddhism doesn't believe that there's an actual material world. It's just a projection from the spiritual world and stuff like that. Not only is that just a denial of God as creator, it's a fundamental denial of the thing that makes us human, okay? And um, it's a really wicked thing. Um, and, and I don't know exactly how they get around it because she died like, she's not still walking around in perfect health. Um, and she might say that I was, I was not perfect. 
um, obviously, but, you know, she had to have gotten sick at some point in time, and, and all of the believers of Christian science have gotten sick. It's just a very strange thing. Um, the last thing I want to talk about briefly is not necessarily a heresy, but heresies have sprung from it, and that is Pentecostalism, which is, again, not a distinctly just American-style thing. So we've had, um, we talked about pietism and spiritualism and rationalism um, back several weeks ago. This is sort of a, an offspring of spiritualism. So those, those folks were very, very ready to, to accept gifts from the Spirit and thought that they were being led by the Spirit. Um, Pentecostals were a part of this as well. Um, the Pentecostal Church in America wasn't started in 1906, but was, um, was a very important uh, 1906 was a very important time in that. It's something called the Azusa Street Revival. Um, so there was a, a small gathering of people in the Azusa Street Mission of Los Angeles. Um, and this was actually on Bonnie Bray Street. You can go and you can see this house today where there were people gathered and there was, as they, they recall, an outpouring of the Spirit that they were able to perform miracles, but also the main symbol that they received the Spirit was speaking in tongues. And so um, this sort of spread, and um, they uh, were led at this time by William J. Seymour, who was a former slave, and, and sought to start getting other people to speak in tongues. And basically, it started in kind of this Methodist holiness background, um, and eventually kind of spread to Baptists and to others. And so if you hear about the Assemblies of God, what the Assemblies of God are is in 1914, there was this desire to gather um, what they said are all believers in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So again, there's this idea that there's baptism, and then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and, and for, for some Pentecostals, you're not actually a believer until you, you truly have been visited by the Holy Spirit and you speak. So I want to say at the outset, we're going to talk in really general terms about Pentecostalism because it is a huge thing, very varied, um, and not, not all. Some of them are are people who are um, a little bit more spiritually uh, inclined to, or, or not spiritually inclined, but um, inclined to talk about spiritual gifts and to use spiritual gifts than we might be okay with, uh, but an otherwise perfectly acceptable believers in the Lord. Um, some very, very fine, as a matter of fact, uh, a very fine scholar, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Douglas Fee just died, who was a Pentecostal believer, excellent scholar, as a matter of fact. Um, but um, there's a number of errors that have attached themselves to Pentecostal folks. Um, again, errors of the Trinity are, are kind of ripe within these, these folks. So there's a whole section of Pentecostals who are called oneness Pentecostals because they believe in the oneness of God. They, don't, they reject the Trinity. Um, this is also akin to people like um, T.D. Jakes who are modalists. If you know what modalism is, it means that there is one God who has appeared in different modes. So he appears as he is like God the Father in the Old Testament. He then comes as Jesus Christ the Son, and then he, he is now going out to everybody as the Spirit. But there's only one God. There's no three people. There's just one. Um, one of the other um, sort of heresies that have sprung up primarily from Pentecostals, but obviously it's, it's attached to others as well, is the prosperity gospel. Um, and there's a reason why it has sort of an appeal to Pentecostals, and that is that Pentecostals are very, very open to 
people who have the power to perform miracles of healing, right? And so attached, attached with wealth and the blessing of God is the healing of God that the Spirit of God brings. And uh, they believe that people are empowered with that even today. Um, good examples, you know, Benny Hinn is probably the most famous example of this. And um, the idea that that God is willing to heal you and that God is willing to bless you financially kind of go hand in hand. Um, so these things spread. I, I do want to say, though, that Pentecostalism, uh, which has spread worldwide, um, is not in and of itself to blame for prosperity gospel, that the, um, there, are, there are plenty of people within the realm of Pentecostalism that we should we should be able to call brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, very, very strong believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Orthodox all the way down, and they would just say, well, we differ in how we think of spiritual gifts and what can happen today and, and how we use them. And th- those are tertiary matters. Some of these other things, though, are primary matters, right? So, so getting the doctrine of the Trinity, wrong, gone. Um, not understanding how God uses suffering in our lives to bring about that which is good is just a twisting of scripture to the point where they, they didn't just twist the gospel, they just snapped the thing in half. Um, and so uh, they're, they're dangerous only when, um, when they're attached to these other sort of beliefs. Um, I, I think that um, we need to make sure that we are handling um, especially when it comes to Pentecostalism and other things like that, very carefully to not make the worst of them be representative of all of them, okay? So there are Pentecostals that we would just say straight out, you're, you're in the same boat as Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the rest. You deny the Trinity. You deny orthodoxy. You deny the goodness of the gospel. You deny X, Y, Z. We're not going to consider you Christians. Um, and, and we will do that happily, I mean, we're not happy for you, but, but we will happily say that a denial of these things means you're not a Christian. But we shouldn't label all Pentecostals that way. So, um, but Pentecostalism as it exists today in the world um, really can trace a lot of its roots back to a handful of people meeting on Bonnie Bray Street. And again, there are, you can go visit the house in LA where this happened and, um, and the spread of, of what they call Pentecostal fire from, from that point on out. So... Um, any, any questions on heresies and cults? Yes, sir. You know, it's a good question because it doesn't, the, there is no spoon. The, the cliff doesn't exist and neither do you. So in that way, there's, it's hard for you to come to an end when you don't actually exist. Any other questions? I can, yeah. Uh, when you talk about Mormonism, or like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, I've heard the term, like, you know, prophet. Yeah. Is that, is that considered, like, I, I, I feel like they talk about, like, God as speaking as a prophet, and the prophet relays God's word. Like, Jesus is a prophet, and, like, God the same way that we would think that a prophet speaks in the Old Testament, right? So there are plenty of things that the Old Testament, certainly we, we would assume that because there are many other prophets, that we don't have their words, that they spoke in an authoritative way that wasn't recorded for. It's not authoritative for us now because we just don't have it. I think that that's kind of the idea for a lot of those prophets, right? Yeah. 
that, that's common only because there are certain people who are prophets and they are located basically as the heads of Mormonism. Now, I am not, I don't know if they believe that people can just come into prophecy. I, I think that the heads of Mormonism speak as prophets of God. I know that that's the case, but I do not know if like Joe Mormon can receive a vision from God and be called a prophet in that way. So um, for Pentecostals would, would argue that that, uh, versions of Pentecostalism would argue that that can indeed be the case, that there are prophets and prophet, prophetesses today that receive a direct word from God and then relay that to people. I don't think that that attains to Mormonism, but I, I don't know it don't know Mormonism in and out that well. Yeah. Good, really good question. I was going to pick on Michelle. She, she was quick, and she caught my, my, my eyes couldn't make it over to you. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about the other lingering issue, which is liberalism. We're going to talk about that next week. And so I think a part of that just kind of breaks down on a liberalism, a denial of Scripture. So these people are denying Scripture, but you'll, one of the things I really wanted to point out is, is a number of these places want to hold on to Scripture. Like the Mormons want to hold on to the Bible. The issue is we have to be, we have to be careful to not think that all we need to do is take seriously the Bible. That's not enough. It's clearly not enough. Um, we need to understand how the Bible ought to be handled and, and interpreted as well. But what you're, what you're asking is the distinction between um, when I, of, of where the Methodist church has gone. Part of it is, is just gone astray because they bought into the liberalism, not, not liberals today, but liberalism in 1900 and, and things like that. Um, that's across a number of different places. That's Baptist churches do the same thing. It's a denial of Scripture, a denial of the um, uh, of divine revelation, or just a, a flat out saying we're going to hold on to it, but we're only going to hold on to the places that we want. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Until it's, like, approved by somebody, like, a, the prophecy is passed on until it's approved by? No, I'm not talking about prophecy, just the next revelation coming to question the way of the Christians, or you mentioned that in some Joe, Joe Mormon had a... Uh, a prophecy, yeah. I don't understand that. Oh, right, right, right. So it goes from leadership to leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that... The, yeah, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I was getting at when I said I know that the people at the top have that, but I don't know if, if the normal rank and file can have a... a uh, if they think that God can reveal things to them as well. I, I don't know that. So, um, Children are here giving me the evil eye, and so that's a good reason for me to pray for my life. And... Uh, um, and for our time. So let's pray. Father God, we are, um, we are not um, people who are immune to these things. Um, let us uh, 
think about these things deeply and consider our own selves in light of it, uh, that we are not led astray. We, we've had fun at, at, at um, the accounts of some of, of what we've heard of today, and um, part of that is, is um, good-natured uh, because these are very strange things. Um, but let's not think that this is just a joking matter. There are people who, um, in their sadness, in their depravity, in their lostness, have bought into these things and are being led astray um, into hell. Um, by them. And so we pray for them. We pray that you will open their eyes. We pray that we ourselves um, will not be led astray by our own wicked readings and our own desires, uh, but that you will always, by your Spirit, bring us back. We thank you for the work of your Spirit. We thank you for your Word. Um, May you help us to understand it well, and may we worship you rightly in Jesus' name. Amen.